Well, it's a delight uh, to be with you again today. Uh, our text is Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through uh, 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 uh, through uh, 22. Before I read that text, and I'll read it, when we read it shortly, we'll read it from the Christian Standard Bible. I, th- I think a helpful text to begin our uh, sermon today is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 says, One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. What a, what a fascinating verse that is. One who isolates himself. You know, one of, the, one of the things we read in this text before us in Ephesians 2 today is that God has created the church, a community of believers, by which we encourage and strengthen one another. And, and we read in Proverbs chapter 18 that it is a, a very dangerous thing what, to, to isolate ourselves from others, to not, to not per, participate in the life of uh, the church. Now, notice that the one who isolates himself pursues a selfish desire. But when we gather, when we gather with other believers, instead of pursuing selfish desires, we're looking out for the good of others in the community, in the body of Christ. And pursuing a selfish desire, this text says. In doing so, one rebels against all sound wisdom. You know, why do people isolate themselves? Well, for various reasons. Maybe, maybe they feel discouraged. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's uh, depression going on in their lives. And we understand that and we want to encourage and strengthen them. But sometimes people isolate themselves because they don't want to be involved in the messiness of other people's lives. That's another reason one might isolate oneself. One might isolate oneself to say, I'm, I'm really going to be happy. I'm really going to be fulfilled. I'm, I'm, I'm going to find more joy in my life if I can get away from others. But this text tells us, in doing so, you're not pursuing wisdom. In other words, isolating oneself can be tempting to all of us at times. But we pursue sound wisdom when we join with one another in the body of Christ and we get involved in one another's lives. My son-in-law uh, in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, recently wrote a blog post, and in that blog post he said, a good New Year's resolution is to resolve to be in church every Sunday this year. And I think that fits with this verse before us. Now, let's not isolate ourselves. Obviously, if there's health reasons and so forth and so on, we understand, don't we? But, but our goal should be, of course, I'm speaking to those who are gathered here, right? But our goal should be to gather with one another in the church of Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us about the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, and God's great act of reconciliation in, in Christ. So let's, uh, let's read that passage now 
Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. As I said, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have now been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole body being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Well, what a wonderful text. There's so much in here, but I want to focus on three truths today. And the first is this. Apart from Christ, we have no hope of salvation. Apart from Christ, we have no hope of salvation. Second, Christ's death has reconciled us to God. The death of Christ has brought us near, this text says. It's reconciled us to God. And third, Christ's death has reconciled us to one another. Through the death of Christ, we're reconciled to one another, both Jews and Gentiles, people from all groups and cultures. So let's begin with uh, the truth that apart from Christ, we have no hope of salvation. We see that especially in verses 11 and 12, don't we? Verse 12 begins, remember, recall this, that at one time you Gentiles, so Paul's especially addressing the Gentile believers here, which is most of us in this room, maybe all of us in this room, unless you're a Jewish believer. He says, remember you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised. And the circumcised are the Jews, and the uncircumcised are the Gentiles. To be uncircumcised is to be outside of God's covenant. To be uncircumcised is to be separated from the people of God. And, and Paul expresses that in this text in five different ways, doesn't he? Five different truths of the, about the Gentiles, really about all of us, before we met Jesus Christ. First of all, he says, at, at that time, verse 12, you were without Christ. Before the Gentiles 
heard and believed in the gospel, they did not belong to the Messiah. They did not belong to the Christ. They were not part of the people of God. Secondly, we see in verse 12, you were excluded from the citizenship in Israel. Remember in the Old Testament, God's people, God's people were the Jewish people, weren't they? They were the people of God. There, there, there you have Israel, the people of God, and then the Gentiles who were separated from God. To be excluded from Israel is to be excluded from salvation. You, you know, when we become a Christian, we read this in a number of places, Galatians chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, you become a child of Abraham. You, you become part of the restored Israel. And, but before one's a Christian, one is alienated from citizenship in Israel. Third, thirdly, he says you are foreigners or you are strangers to the covenants of promise. Those covenants, you know the covenants in the Bible made with Abraham and with Moses and with David and the new covenant, those covenants were made with Israel. You were strangers to those covenants. What did those covenants promise? Those covenants promised salvation. But he says to the Gentiles, you were strangers to those things, alienated from them. You weren't part of the people of God. Fourth, Paul says that the Gentiles had no hope. Before they heard the gospel of Christ, they had no hope of being saved. Notice, notice this. When he says they have no hope, he's speaking objectively, not subjectively. You know the difference? Subjectively, someone might have hope in their life. Someone may feel confidence. Someone may feel optimism. But, but the hope he's talking about here is objective. There's a real hope, right? You, you, you could have a subjective hope that... A sporting team you like that's terrible will win the championship. But that subjective hope has no basis in reality, right? So there's no objective hope for salvation. There's no real hope of salvation for those who don't belong to God. And fifth and finally, Paul says, they were without God in the world. That's true of you as well, right? Before you came to Christ, you were separated from God. You didn't have a relationship with him. You didn't know. You didn't love the God of the universe. You were alive physically, but you didn't have spiritual life. But, and God made us to know him and to find our joy in him and to love him. But the Gentiles were separated. So that's our first truth. Apart from Christ, that's a fundamental truth of the Christian faith, right? Apart from Christ, there's no hope of salvation. No salvation in Hinduism, no salvation in Islam, no salvation in Buddhism, no salvation in any other religion. There's only salvation in Jesus Christ. But that brings us to the second truth. Christ's death reconciles us to God. So we see this right away in verse 13, right? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away, that's the Gentiles, right? You who are far away have brought near by the blood of Christ. 
You, you've been brought near by Christ's blood by his death. A, a very prominent theme in this text is reconciliation. We see this in the words brought near. And, and actually, he picks up on this again, doesn't he, in verse 17. He came, that's Jesus, and proclaimed the good news of peace to those who are far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, that's the Jews. So peace is proclaimed. We, we all want peace, don't we? Here, here he's talking about peace with God, being, being near to God. If you experience this, if you're a Christian, you have. There's nothing more wonderful than having being at peace with God and being near to God, having fellowship with him. What does Paul say here? That 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 came, that that peace came through through the blood of Christ. Actually, look at verse 16. He speaks of Christ reconciling us to God through the cross, ending the hostility, the enmity between us and God. So if you're not a Christian today, you should recognize, and we remind Christians of this, before we're believers, why was there no hope of salvation? Because we're there's hostility between us and God. We're at enmity with God. We, we, don't, we don't belong to God. Why, why is there enmity? Well, you know, look at verse 15. Verse 15 speaks of the law consisting of commands and regulations. There's enmity with God. There's hostility between us and God because we've sinned. Be, be, because we haven't done what God has commanded. And because we haven't done what God has commanded, there's a separation between us and God. <clears throat> I was uh, some time ago listening to a musician on a, a program we have in the United States called National Public Radio, and uh, it came up in, during this program about his relationship with God. And this is what he said. I don't I don't worry about my relationship with God, he said, he's, and, and, and because he said, my grandma prays for me. <laughs> my grandma prays for me, so I don't worry about my relationship with God. But that doesn't cut it, does it? The, there, there's no one else who can substitute for you besides Jesus Christ. Your grandma's prayers, in and of themselves, they can't save you if you yourself are not reconciled to God. Most unbelievers... If you ask them, what's your relationship with God like, if they believe in God, they'd say, it's fine. I'm not an enemy of God. God and I are getting along just fine. But hear, hear the word of the Lord, right? The word of the Lord is that apart from Christ, if you don't belong to Christ, if you don't believe in Christ, if you don't trust in Christ, if you haven't given your life to Christ, you're in enmity with God. You, you don't belong to God. You're not... You're not at peace with God. But in Christ, those laws and commands have been set aside. He doesn't mean by that there's not any moral norms for us right, as Christians. right? He's not, he's not saying there aren't any commandments for us. But he's saying they've been set aside. Those laws that separated Jews and Gentiles have been removed. They created a barrier between Jews and Gentiles. So the law has been set aside. And forgiveness has been achieved through the cross. 
so that if we put our faith in Christ, we are reconciled to God. We can't, we can't atone for their sins on our own. Uh, Doug prayed about this this morning, didn't he? We can't atone for those sins even by being good because we're not good enough. Reconciliation and forgiveness only comes through the cross. We don't, we don't earn right standing with God even by attending church. I emphasize how important that is, but we don't earn our salvation by attending church or, or by getting baptized or because we've tried to be a good person. Our, our only hope is in the cross work of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, by which our sins are forgiven if we trust in him. And if we trust in him, we belong to God. What does verse 18 say? For through Christ, and only through Christ, we both have access. When he says we both, both Jews and Gentiles, we both have access in one spirit to the fathers. He bore our sins on the tree so that we would be forgiven of our sins and come to know the Father. He gave his life so that we could have life. Now, that, that's love, isn't it? That, that God's son, God sent his son out of love so that we could have life by putting our faith in him. And then we enjoy peace with God. Are you frazzled in your life? Are you distressed? Are you not experiencing peace? Well, actually, if you're a Christian, objectively, you have peace with God, right? Even if you don't feel it right now, you're at peace with the creator of the universe if you belong to Jesus Christ. God is our creator. He made us to know him. And as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And when we rest in thee, we are reconciled to God. So apart from Christ, there's no salvation, right? And through Christ, Christ's death on the cross, we're reconciled to God, both Jews and Gentiles together. I mean, that's the gospel, isn't it? But thirdly, that brings us to the third truth in this text. We're one in Christ. We're reconciled to one another in Christ. That hostility between Jews and Gentiles, that's an ancient hostility, right? That hostility has been healed in Jesus. Uh, Paul tells us that the, that the, that the wall that divided Jews and Gentiles, that wall has been broken down. The, and and that, that wall represented the Mosaic law. And the Mosaic law had some laws in it, right? Like circumcision, Sabbath, food laws that segregated Jews from Gentiles. Those law, the, that law has been removed. That law that Moses gave always pointed to the coming of Jesus Christ. Those laws were never meant to be in force forever. They were meant to be temporary. And, and after all, salvation could never come through the Mosaic law because as we've already seen, both Jews and Gentiles failed to do what God commanded. Salvation could only come through the death of Jesus Christ. So the division and the breach between Jews and Gentiles has ended through, through Christ. 
through his death. We're not only at peace with God, but what does this text say? We're reconciled to one another. We have peace with one another. This congregation is a beautiful example of this, isn't it? From so many cultures, you're one with one another in in Jesus Christ. You belong to one another. Your, your family, as those who are members, your family with one another in Christ Jesus. You know, we... We think of, if we think of a historical example, we think of that, what, when did it happen? I didn't look up at the date. Some 25, 30 years ago, right? The Berlin Wall came down, separating uh, uh, parts of Germany. And that wall come, coming down signified, right, the, the healing, so to speak, whereas, whereas Germany was restored together, both the East and the West, so to speak, came back together. And that breach was healed. And, and in Christ. The, the hatred and divisions between human beings, they're, they've ended. They're, they're healed, aren't they? So if we belong to Christ, we have peace with God. We have peace with one another. You know, what? why is it? Why do, why do human beings hate one another? It's a very basic question, isn't it? Why do we kill one another? Well, you know, you won't really read about this in the secular media. The, the answer is deep, and it's profound. But in one way, it's simple, isn't it? That our hatred for one another, what's the root of it, according to this text? The root of it is that we hate God. Well, the reason we hate one another, when we do hate one another, is because we're wrongly related to God. So, so... You know, we're constantly talking about this as human beings. What, what's the key to people getting along in this world? What's the solution to racial tensions? The one answer that's never really discussed in our, in our universities, at least in the United States, in our, in our media, the one answer, sometimes believers even forget this answer, That one answer is what? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very gospel I've talked about today. The reason we hate one another is because we do not love Jesus Christ. If we say we belong to Jesus, but we hate someone from another racial or cultural background, then we have to ask, right, do we, do we really belong to Jesus? Are we, are we really saved? Such, such hatred does not fit with being a Christian. You know, as Christians, we don't have to pray that we will be united with to other Christians. We're already united to them. We are one body in Christ. Since we are in Christ, we belong to one another. It's kind of like being born in a family, right? I have seven brothers and sisters. I didn't choose any of them. (laughs) And they didn't choose me. We're just part of a family. And part of what it meant growing up is to learn how to love one another as brothers and sisters. That's just the way it is. And that's the way it is in the church as well. we, We are united. We are family. It's not, it's not based on our feelings. So often we focus on our feelings. Do I feel united? Do you feel united with the people in here? Maybe you do today, maybe you don't. It doesn't matter though in one way. You are united with the other believers in here whether you feel it 
or not. We're all united to one another through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There are no second or third class Christians in the church of Jesus Christ. We all belong to one another, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're popular or you're unpopular, whether you're young or you're old, whether you're educated or you're uneducated. We're all together in Jesus Christ. So what does this mean practically for our lives? So several things I want to say. First, it means that we as Christians, we live a corporate life together. We believe in gathering corporately together as a church, and we believe that's important. You know, it's one of the big problems in the United States, very privatistic understandings of Christianity. There, there are Christians in our country who actually will miss church to stay at home for various reasons. And they'll even think that's a spiritual and godly thing to do. They'll give various excuses for doing that. But that, that was not the vision of the early Christians or of the New Testament. We don't live our Christian lives by just reading the Bible, as important that is, or by praying in private, or by enjoying God's beauty at the beach or in the mountains, which are all wonderful things. But God has called us to live a community life together as believers. You know, there's something beautiful about the whole body of Christ being gathered together with all its differences. We unite together to worship the Lord and to hear his word. You know, small groups, as wonderful as they are, small groups aren't the same as the whole church being gathered together. Right, Many small groups are made up of people who are attracted to one another, for instance. But in the church, you're brought together with the whole body. And of course, in many small groups, there's not the same kind of accountability you have when you have elders. And, and right, you celebrate the word and the sacrament together in a special way when the church is called to gather together. Sometimes we forget what a privilege it is to gather with other Christians to worship and to hear his word. You know, there's some, now you meet on Sundays, right? But there's going to be some Sundays, there were some Fridays you think, well, it'd be, I just feel like it'd be more comfortable to stay home. But here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about the privilege of gathering together. He says, it is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. So you're going to do that today. We're sharing God's word and the sacrament. It's by the grace of God. It's a grace. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, it is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. In other words, we could take it for granted, right? Well, we can do it every week. We forget that it's a gift. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, 
let him, that's all of you here, right, who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians, praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Let's not forget, sometimes in our tiredness, our weariness, our busyness, let's not forget what a privilege it is, what a joy it is to gather with other believers. You know, Bonhoeffer experienced what he talked about here himself because he was imprisoned and put to death at the end of his life and spent many months without any Christian fellowship. Don't forget what a privilege it is to gather together corporately, week in, week out, with other believers. Second, we're united to one another in Christ. How can you show love for believers in the body of Christ in practical ways? What would that look like? Well, if you see someone from another culture, that's not hard to do here, right? Make a special point. Invite them into your home or your apartment. It can be lonely to be far from home. I would imagine you can be lonely as you come over here and start in a community where you don't know very many people. People can feel they're not part of an in-group. If you're married, adopt a single person who doesn't have a family. Ask them over to your home from time to time for a meal. Diana and I have done this over the years. We've kind of adopted various single people, and we regularly had them in our home. And I think it's been a blessing to them. But guess what? It's also been a blessing to us. We've been blessed to know them. If you're single, you get to know a family that has young children so that they trust you. Maybe you can offer to babysit them from time to time. That's a, that's a real indication of love so that they can have some time together. Take time to write, text, email, a note of encouragement to the member of a body. You know, people are so encouraged when they're remembered. When, they, when you just get a short note from someone, it's encouraging to get a note like that. Or call someone that's lonely. Encourage them by showing that you care about them. When you gather together as a church, as you do today, look for people who aren't talking to anyone, and go over and engage them in conversation. Look for that lonely person. You know, it's easy to talk to our friends. I want to do it as well. But it's loving to look for those who are unnoticed and to reach out for them. When we, remember, when we come together and gather together, it's not just for ourselves. If someone you talk to is cold, unfriendly, and off-putting, what do you do then? Decide to keep loving them anyway. Don't avoid them, but continue to talk to them. Most people, I think, who are cold, cold and off-putting, they don't even know they're like that. <laughs> they don't even recognize that about themselves. So keep loving them. Keep reaching out to them. Pray that your love will melt their hard exterior. You know that often happens. You keep engaging with someone, it changes them. Ask fellow members, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing personally? What's your 
What's your relationship with God like? Cultivate, cultivate the art of listening to others. Most of us are inclined to talk instead of hearing what others have to say. Think less. You know, people can react to a sermon like this in various ways. One way to react to it is to say, yeah, nobody's reaching out to me. Hey, wait a minute. That's what the church is supposed to do. What it's supposed to do. Why aren't they reaching out to me? But think less of that and think more of how you can reach out to others. Remember what Paul says. Does this apply to any of your relationships? Love doesn't keep account of wrongs, and love never gives up. This this unity we have as Christians is no ordinary unity. We're not a club. We're not an organization. We're the people of God. Verse 20, the church is built on the infallible foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The church of Jesus Christ, we don't live on the basis of human wisdom. We don't ask the most gifted members of the church intellectually to teach necessarily, do we? The church derives its life and its message from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That infallible message was given to the apostles and the prophets. The apostles were the 12 who were chosen by Jesus and perhaps a few more like Paul, James, the brother of the Lord, perhaps Barnabas, Silas, perhaps. But that's the, that's the, 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 the apostles are the foundation. They're the nucleus of the church. And the authority of the apostles did not reside finally in themselves, but in their teaching, the apostolic teaching, the gospel. So we're not looking, we're not looking for any apostles to rise up in our day. That authority, authoritative and inerrant apostolic teaching is in the scriptures, in the word of God, in the New Testament, insofar as it interprets and fulfills the old. So that, that teaching, the teaching of the apostles comes from Jesus Christ who is himself the cornerstone. You know, we read in verses 21 and 22 that the church is also indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Did, did you notice the Trinitarian character of this passage? You have, the, you have the Father, you have the reconciling work of the Son, and now you have the indwelling work of the Spirit. Did you also notice the church is called God's temple? In the Old Testament, God dwelt in the temple, but now he dwells by his spirit in the church. We are God's temple. There's no need for a physical building any longer for God to dwell in. We have buildings to gather in, but the church is God's temple, dwelt in by God's spirit. And there's a funny thing about this temple. It's growing. Did you see that in the text? It's growing into a holy temple. Temples don't grow. Buildings don't grow. But this one does, right? Paul, Paul mixes his metaphors. We have, we have a, we're, as, as God's people, we're God's temple. And this temple is growing. That means the church isn't all it should be. It's growing into a temple in the Lord. We can, we can point to weaknesses and failings in the church, but the church will be perfected 
and it will be glorious. Ephesians 5, in the end, it will be spotless and without blemish. So the church is not made up of perfect people. You don't have perfect pastors here, right? The church isn't made up of perfect people, but of people who will be perfect. That's all of us. We're not perfect, but we will be because of the cross work of Christ and the indwelling work of the Spirit. The church is forgiven because of what Christ has done on the cross, and it will be perfected in the last day. What a great hope we have. I hope you feel that hope today. Even if you don't feel it, trust in it. We are part of an organism that will improve. We're not heading backwards. We're heading forwards. We're we're not going to get worse. We're going to get better. We're not all that we will be. But on the last day, the sanctification and holiness of the church, it will be completed. And that's true of our individual lives as well. Even now, the Holy Spirit indwells local churches. The Holy Spirit indwells this church as God's temple. We're not merely a human organization. How easy it is to look at the church of Jesus Christ and to think of our failures. And surely we need to evaluate ourselves constantly and strive to improve by God's grace. But that desire to improve must always come from a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness. It must be animated by the grace and joy that fills our lives. So as I close, I want to say this. Let's pray that we'll see even now, you'll see that the church God has placed you in is, is glorious. This place is glorious. This, this place This place is beautiful. This body of believers. In our day, at least where I come from, people switch churches when they get unhappy. But in the early church, they couldn't do that, right? They couldn't go down the road and switch to another church. If they were unhappy, they had to work out their problems with one another. Can I challenge you today to do that? What a, what a beautiful thing it is to persist in one another. Just as we persist by God's grace in our marriages and our other relationships, let's, let's work out our problems with one another instead of flying when problems arise. Often we miss the blessings God has for us as a body because we leave the fellowship of God's people when things get difficult. We can, we can tend to think God is only working gloriously when we're happy and comfortable. So, as I close, let's give thanks for the church of Jesus Christ. Give, give thanks for your church. What a, what a wonderful blessing it is to have this body. How wonderful. We're not the cornerstone of the church. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. But he has promised the church will not fail. The gates of hell, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ.